0: we have a couple of announcements this morning um we have a uh a new family in our family this morning Rachel Rachel and Ryan Flournoy have became members this week and they're in the nursery so we are glad to have Ryan and Rachel with us and they have they have jumped in obviously and are serving and so we're so glad to have them if you have not met them um please seek them out um find out from somebody who they are and uh and make sure that you meet them and welcome them after church this morning we have another exciting announcement these two on the front y'all want to stand many of you know Anton um a- Anton's been here for a while plays bass for us and this is his now fiance Haley um so we want to congratulate them yeah thanks guys. so that is exciting they got engaged last Saturday, correct? Yes. Last Saturday. So it's been a whole week. Haley, are you having second thoughts yet? Okay, awesome. Awesome. Just checking. Just checking. <laughs> um so that that's great. Not not yet, Anton. It's been a whole week, so I mean you're doing good, and yeah? she's seen you Monday through Friday and yeah? um, all right well it's so good to be here it's great to open up god's word anytime we get a chance to do that as a family so if you would grab your copy of the scriptures and turn with me to second timothy three sixteen. many of you can probably quote this passage from heart um we are beginning today our seven week series in the fundamentals or basic christian beliefs we're simply calling it ology because we will be discussing a lot of different ologies Um, greg gave us a hard time with that name because we're seminary students and we just have to throw out these big words to make you think our education was worth it all right Um, so we're going to do that and this morning we're studying bibliology okay so the study of the bible um we are going to be studying how we got our bible what we do with the bible how we view the scriptures and so this morning we will begin in a very um common passage used when talking about the scriptures and one many of you probably know and i'm going to do something a little different this morning I'm going to have you stand In honor of the reading of God's word I know you're like I just sat down bro um, So let's stand Sometimes I just like to be like Old school and traditional And, and honor the word in this way So let's, let's stand and read together and In fact we only have one verse So let's all read out loud together How about that Alright let's proclaim this Verse 16 2 Timothy 3 All scripture is breathed out by God And profitable for teaching For reproof for correction and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Alright, and you heard all the translations around you. And so now you have a great view of what that verse means already. So you can go ahead and be seated. Second Corinthians 3, I mean Second Timothy 3.16. All scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable. For teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness. We often come to the scriptures without thinking anything about how we got the scriptures. What, How did it come about that we got these 66 books in, in this Bible? Did that just happen by chance? Some believe that some church council of, of men sat around and decided these books are in and these are out. So, so what really conspired, what happened, or what events transpired to give us the copy of God's word that we have today? The first question we ask when we come into the subject is, what, what is the Bible? What, what is the Bible? In a day of relativism and pluralism, it's important for us to define our terms when speaking of anything. We're approaching any subject matter as important as this. We especially must be careful to define our terms. When we speak of the Bible, what are we talking about? Many other cults and maybe some other religions have their own texts that they would go to as an authority. Is that the Bible? Is that part of the Bible? Does the Book of Mormon stand over the Bible to interpret it for us? does the lighthouse that the jehovah's witness used or watchtower not lighthouse um does the watchtower um in some way help interpret scripture for us is is that the case we have to be certain about what we believe the bible to be and i heard a few years ago Vody bacham a pastor in houston preach on this very subject um and he gave a great definition i love this definition it's very very concise as to what the bible is the bible he says is a reliable collection of historical documents written down by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses they report of supernatural events that took place in fulfillment of specific prophecies and claimed that their writings are divine rather than human in origin it's a pretty great definition you're like that was long bro but it is a pretty good definition right it is a reliable collection of historical documents it was written down by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses and it reports supernatural events took place in fulfillment of specific prophecies and it claims to be divine rather than human in origin well that's a great great definition but what does that even mean so let's walk through it this morning. First of all, let's tackle the subject of how do we get our Bible? How, how did it come to be that we got these 66 books in this nice black leather binding with the gold edge? Isn't it pretty? It's still, still not scratched up too bad. Um, that's the preaching Bible, right? You have to have like your, your at-home Bible and then the preaching Bible that's really pretty and lays open nice. Uh, but how do we get what we have, right? How do we get these 66 books um, into this collection, Well, first of all, men wrote it under the inspiration of God. 2 Timothy 3.16 All scripture is breathed out by God, or inspired by God. Now, everyone who claims the name Christian would agree that the scriptures are inspired. Yet a wide variety of meanings are attached to this adjective, inspired. Everyone who would call themselves a Christian would say, Sure, the Bible is inspired. But what do they mean by that? If we're defining terms, we have to even define what we mean by inspired. And there are a few different major views on what the inspiration of scripture really means. The first one is called the intuition theory. The intuition theory is a fun one. According to this view, the writers of the Bible exhibit a natural religious intuition. that is also found in other great philosophical or religious thinkers such as Confucius or Plato obviously the absolute truth claims of scripture are denied by those holding this view of inspiration so in other words this view the intuition theory says that these men who wrote the bible were inspired as an artist says they are inspired they just have these natural this natural intuition and giftedness to let these things flow out and so they would deny the absolute truth claims of scripture because this was just kind of these men writing on a whim they kind of had some religious understanding and they're going to they're gonna write that out. So that, that's one view. The second view is the illumination theory. The illumination theory. Now you may have heard this word around church in terms of the spirit empowering believers or illuminating believers to understand the scripture that word is often used maybe around church or i know in seminary and when we talk about the holy spirit giving christians the ability or the illumination to see the truth in scripture and this theory kind of has the same thing this view holds that the spirit of god in some way did objectively impress himself upon the consciousness of the biblical writers but not in a way that is essentially different from the way the spirit communicates with all humanity only in degree of the Spirit's influence is it different. Only in the degree of its influence is it different, not in the kind. So in much the same way the Spirit gives us an understanding, it just gave the biblical writers a little more. So it was a, a bigger degree of understanding of these things as they as they wrote Scripture. The third one is the dynamic theory. Dynamic theory, this view asserts that God gave definite specific impressions or concepts to biblical authors but that allowed the writers to communicate those concepts in their own words that the exact phrasing of scripture is due to human choice while the main tenor of the content is determined by god now upon first hearing that definition it sounds like that's that's okay right i mean you you've got god giving definite or specific impressions of concepts to the authors of the bible and they get to write it and however they want to phrase it or, or things like that are left up to the human will and the human choice. But the main message, the main tenor of, of the passages are, are God-breathed and inspired in that way. I think that definition is still lacking because you still have a problem with men using their own phrasing. God's not inspiring the phrasing, so what if something is different in the way they phrase it that wasn't what God intended? The third one is the dictation theory dictation theory and you probably already can understand what where this is going by the name dictation this view holds that god dictated the exact words to human authors like court stenographers the authors of scripture exercise no human volition whatsoever in the composition of their writing sometimes those holding the verbal plenary theory are wrongly accused of believing in such mechanical dictation and we're about to jump to the verbal plenary view But this dictation view is that these guys sat down and God just told them what to write. And they they wrote it down. Like a court stenographer records what's happening in court. Word for word. Right? Um, That, again, I think is, is lacking a little bit. Because we see in scripture different personalities coming through in different books. And in different writings. So we get to the last one the verbal plenary theory you want to really like sound smart to somebody tell them you believe in the verbal plenary inspiration of scripture right um and they'll be like bro i don't care um so uh as many of you are looking at me right now I i don't care what it's called um this view the biblical one i believe um asserts there's a dual authorship to scripture while authors of the Bible wrote as thinking, feeling human beings, God so mysteriously superintended the process that every word written was also the exact word he wanted to be written, free from all error. This view is also sometimes called just the verbal theory. So the authors of the Bible wrote as thinking, human, or thinking and feeling human beings... But God so mysteriously superintended the process that every word written was the exact word that he wanted written, free from all error. This is what I think we can draw from Scripture as we we read the Scripture, as we see how these men wrote and were carried along as Peter writes, that we were carried along by the Holy Spirit as they wrote the Scriptures. Everything God intended is there. Every word written was the exact word he wanted but these humans who wrote were able to put their own personality their own feeling into the text but it was a mysterious way in which God superintended the writing of the text and something that we will probably never fully comprehend or understand but if we could understand it all we would be God and we are not so we get to have that mystery of how God has written through men the exact words that he wants us to have so first bible written by man inspired by god second it has been preserved by god it has sovereignly been preserved by god we have no manuscripts of the original text of scripture so therefore it's unreliable we can't trust it and we should go home and stop reading it right we have no original copies i mean how do we know that any of this is correct right well, we can know that it's correct. We, have, we, we don't have original manuscripts for um, the Odyssey or many other classic works of literature that we read. In fact, the Odyssey, I think the closest manuscripts we have or the closest copies to the original that we have are like 1,600 years removed from the original. And with the New Testament especially, we have a lot closer than that to the originals. The Bible, the scripture, is the closest actually that we have copies of to the original autographs is is what they call them in in those those big buildings with professors and stuff. Um, So, (laughs) yeah, I'm... I'm Just throw that in for extra. It didn't cost you any. Um, This is often an argument given for the unreliability of scripture. We can't trust it. We don't have the original manuscripts. So how do we know the copies are accurate? So what's the point in doing this whole church thing? What's the point in reading it? What's the point in obeying it? What if it's wrong? Like, we don't have the, the new... Or we don't have the original copies. However, think about this. These copies were not made on our Xerox printer, right? They, they didn't have that, if, if you weren't aware, um, in, in ancient times. There, there was no Xerox printer. Although, according to a Netflix documentary, there were airplanes. So, just um, FYI. Um, I'm one of those. Okay, so, so we don't have the originals, but they copied them. Who copied them? Scribes, whose only job nine to five every day was to copy the text of scripture do you think they took their job very lightly probably not in fact if you read in the new testament in the gospels we hear jesus always interacting with these guys called the scribes and the pharisees and they were considered the most religious of all the people they were the most religious. In fact, Jesus said at one point, unless you are as righteous as the Pharisees and the scribes, you won't enter my kingdom. Whoa, bro. So like he was comparing, they, they like to keep rules. So the scribes didn't take their job lightly. They took the law and the Bible very seriously. So they were very careful in everything they did in copying these manuscripts. Text criticism today has said and confirmed that the reliable transmission of the Old Testament and New Testament manuscripts are just as good as any other copies that we have of any other secular work. The Old Testament and the New Testament are extremely reliable. The New Testament autographs, uh, original manuscripts, can be reconstructed with 96 to 97% accuracy. So taking all the different copies we have, putting them together, 96 to 97% accuracy, meaning that's how well they overlap. That's how well they're all together and on the same points and on the same message. With the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls, which were a thousand years older than any copy that we had and to that point we learned that the Old Testament had been very accurately translating. So when we discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls, um, they were a thousand years older than any manuscripts we had up until that point. And all the manuscripts that we had up until that point lined up with what the Dead Sea Scrolls said. So we can be very assured that our Bible has been copied and transmitted in a wonderful and near perfect way and it's because God sovereignly saw the process he sovereignly directed the process of how scripture would be kept and transmitted so that brings us to the next point okay so we've got all these manuscripts we've we've got all this stuff collected and they're all lining up and that looks good so how do we decide what stays in and what goes What stays in and what goes? Who decided what made the cut? How do we get the canon? Not canon as in bang, but the canon of scripture. The canon of scripture. This refers to the closed list of books that Christians view as uniquely authoritative and inspired. We call this the canon, the ones that Christians believe to be authoritative and inspired. It's often misunderstood that a council back in the first century sat around, decided which books were in, which ones were out, Um, but that is not the case. That is not the case. The, The canon is not an authorized collection of writings, in other words, and that the church conferred its authority or approval on a list of books right the bible isn't some some list that the church came up with and said these are the inspired word of god this is what we will teach this is what we will believe and because we have said it this is authoritative Well, well no that has all kinds of flaws if if the church says that it has authority then who stands over the church in authority Scripture stands over us in its authority. We do not stand over Scripture in authority. So that's not how we we got it. The canon, however, is a collection of authoritative writings. They inherently have the authority. And we have simply collected them. There are different ways the church came to view the Old and New Testament as Scripture. This all didn't happen in one meeting where everybody was like voting like we would do in a business meeting. Everybody for it? Okay. George is against it. We're throwing him out. This is our Bible. All right. That's not how it went. This is not how the meeting went. Actually, in fact, the Old Testament and New Testament had very different ways of being recognized as Scripture. I, I use that word over given authority because we don't give it authority we recognize that this is scripture in the case of the old testament we have 39 books in our old testament they were written from 1400 to 430 bc and there was a progressive recognition of certain books as being canonical right from their inception by the readers and listeners who were contemporaries with the writers and who were thereby in the best position to determine the claims of the writers. That's from Walt Kaiser's book, The Old Testament Documents. So in other words, he says, as they are being written, the readers and people around who were also eyewitnesses of the things that were being written about said, yes, this is true, yes, this is accurate. And they were being accepted as the very word of God, as they were being written by people who were contemporaries of the original writers. There was this progressive recognition of certain books being scripture. The second and probably greatest thing that we have as confirmation that the Old Testament books that we have are scriptures that Jesus quoted from them as scripture. He references many times throughout the gospels many old testament texts and calls them scripture or the word of god so we can know that these books that contain the quotes from jesus are scripture he said they were so so that's kind of how we got the old testament these books just came to be recognized as scripture From people who were contemporaries of the writers. And then Jesus also gave them authority when he said, These are scriptures. These are my words. These are God's words. In the case of the New Testament, it's a little different. Jesus was gone when the New Testament was finished, right? Jesus had already ascended into heaven. He wasn't here to say these are the ones. These are not the ones. There are 27 books in our New Testament. They were written between A.D. 45 and A.D. 100. And the early church had requirements, okay? They had requirements on what they would recognize as scripture. It wasn't like these are our requirements to authorize these books. They said this is what we want to see in order to to recognize that there's scripture. And they had three three requirements that they were looking for. Three things that they looked for to see if if this was scripture. Number one, was it apostolic in its nature was it written by an apostle was it written by an eyewitness of jesus or a closely tied person to an apostle an authorized witness of of jesus so this was one of the criteria you may say well paul was not an eyewitness right he didn't become an apostle until after jesus had gone back to heaven right well paul probably was an eyewitness of jesus ministry actually Because he was part of the Sanhedrin. He was probably part of the sect of Jews who were trying to crucify Jesus. After we meet Paul as Saul, we realize he is persecuting the church then and there. And he would have been close to the same age as Jesus. So he would have grown up hearing about this guy, probably seeing his ministry, learning about him because they hated him, right? So Paul actually probably was an earthly eyewitness of Jesus' ministry, even if he wasn't, for some odd reason, he saw Jesus, right? And we know from Paul that he spent time with Christ um, in a very supernatural way um, that we can't really understand. The second thing that the early church looked for was not only apostolic in its nature, but that it was Catholic. They wanted to make sure that all of the, the books praised and worshipped Mary. No, that, that's, not, that's not what we're talking about when we talk about Catholic writings, right? Um, there's a difference in Catholic and Roman Catholic. Okay, if you read any of the old creeds, they will, they will often use the word Catholic. We believe in the Catholic Church. So they're not talking about the Roman Catholic Church. It's a word for universal. It's a word for universal. Catholic. Widely, if not universally recognized by the churches. In other words, what the, new, what the early church was looking for is that these books were already being circulated among the churches and that they were already being read and understood as scripture in the churches and they were widely accepted and viewed as scripture it wasn't some council that sat around and said hey hey you over there at Ephesus you're not going to use that anymore because we decided that's not scripture no if it was if it was being circulated in Ephesus and other parts of Asia Minor and all these different places and everybody in the church considered it scripture then the early church decided that's probably scripture Everybody views it as such. The third thing was it had to be orthodox. It had to be orthodox. Not in contradiction to any recognized apostolic book or doctrine. So they would look at what Jesus had said in his earthly ministry. They would look at what was written and they had in the Old Testament. And they would, they would look at the apostles teaching. And they said okay does, does this contradict in any way what Paul has said. Or or what Matthew or Mark or Luke or John or any of these guys who have written who were eyewitnesses of Jesus if it contradicts them then it's not scripture they were eyewitnesses of Christ and his ministry so we trust them over over some other writing that comes up the fact that substantially the whole church came to recognize the same 27 books as canonical is remarkable when it's remembered that the result was not contrived (laughs) All the churches recognize the same 27 books okay we have one church and I'm not naming our church I'm saying we have some churches they can't even agree within themselves on the color of the carpet or how they're going to do certain things like one church can't agree on 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 things so twenty seven different books and all the churches essentially were in agreement that these are scripture that has to be divine this has to be a sovereignly guided process by God when all these different churches from many different parts of the world are recognizing these same books as scripture All that uh, that the several churches throughout the empire could do was to witness to their own experience with the documents and share whatever knowledge they might have about their origin and character. When consideration is given to the diversity and cultural backgrounds and orientation to the essentials of the Christian faith within the churches, their common agreement about which books belong to the New Testament serves to suggest that this final decision did not originate solely on a human level all the cultural differences all the differences and preferences that people have the fact that they all um, came together and had been reading these and understanding these books as scripture is, can only be dis- explained by God that this was not a human decision so that leads to this question what about the extra books? I mean I watched a great documentary on the History Channel a few years ago talking about the Gospel of Thomas you could tell me Gospel Thomas ain't really Gospel? I mean, that kind of throws a whole wrench into your system there, brother. Right? I mean, where, where did that come from? What about in the, the Roman Catholic Bible? They, they got that Apigrypha thing. Or apocry- Apocrypha thing, right? They've got these extra books. What, what about their extra books that we don't get? They're like holier than us. Because they got the extra books. So, so why not those extra books? What's wrong with those extra books? What do we do with that? What do we do when we hear that the Gospel of Thomas shows up, right? And everybody's claiming, oh, the Christians don't have... the Christians don't have the whole Bible. We've got another Gospel that showed up. Well, I mean, the Apocrypha was written during the silent years, right? Between, between Malachi and... And Matthew, it was written during that 400 year period. The Apocrypha was written by Jewish historians who, who kept record of what was going on with the nation of Israel during that time. So what do we, let's first deal with those. Because the Roman Catholic Church and many other Eastern Orthodox churches recognize these as scripture. So why don't we, why don't we view these things as scripture? Number one, because the Jews who wrote them didn't think they were scripture. And never accepted them as scripture. They say so in themselves. In 1st Maccabees 4.41. The authors say that this is not scripture. They didn't understand themselves to be writing scripture. They simply said we're writing history books. Right? To remember what's happened to the nation. Secondly it contains clear factual errors. And from the standpoint of Protestants theological errors. Like praying for the dead. So remember one of the one of the qualifications that the early church recognized scripture was that it not be contradictory to the apostles teaching or to jesus teaching and so these things like praying for the dead and theological errors that exist in those books led us to believe that these are not scripture thirdly and this is a fun one the roman catholic church didn't even officially recognize these documents until the council of Trent in 1546 In fact, Jerome, who was the translator of the original Catholic Bible, the Latin Vulgate, that had been used for over a thousand years to this point by Roman Catholics, he claimed that the books of the Apocrypha were edifying for Christians, but were not for the establishing of the authority of the doctrines of the church. So the very man who wrote the Latin version that the Catholic, Roman Catholic Church used for over a thousand years, said the Apocrypha was not Scripture and should not be used for identifying doctrine. Th- lastly, New Testament authors nowhere cite the Apocry- Apocrypha as Scripture. We never see it cited like we do the other books of the Old Testament. No, Jesus never quotes from it. None of the apostles ever quote from it. And no one ascribes it any authority. Almost every book in the Old Testament is cited as Scripture by New Testament authors, but not any of the Apocrypha is ever mentioned. As to the other books that have recently claimed to be Scripture, we don't accept them because of the rules the early church applied to recognizing Scripture. They weren't widely circulated. And they're not orthodox in many cases. Gospel of Thomas said Jesus was married, right? And we, we don't know that at all from the Gospels. He never mentions that, neither do any apostles mention that Jesus is married and so, so there are things that are unorthodox about them and they weren't widely circulated. Let's understand that. So what if today what if today somebody is over in the Middle East somewhere and they discover a letter written by Paul. Man, it's Paul though. Like, I mean Paul wrote a lot of our New Testament. Should should we accept this as Scripture? Like, it's, it's Paul. No. No, we should not. Because it's not been widely circulated. If God was sovereignly guiding this whole process from what we've seen already, that he definitely was involved in guiding the process, then we would have found the books that we needed to find in order to live godly lives and to submit ourselves to Jesus. So if a letter from Paul comes up... Sorry, it's not scripture. There were other letters that we do know of... That Paul wrote that are not scripture. So, if you're like having that discussion with somebody... And somebody's like, well, what about... What about the gospel of Thomas? What about if the gospel of Judas? All these different things that are coming out, right? Like, what do we do with that? Not widely accepted, bro. Like, sorry. This, this is what we have been given... We can trust that God has sovereignly directed the process and that we have all that he wants us to know. We have all things pertaining to life and to godliness in this book. So now we've talked about how we got the Bible. We need to talk about how we should view the Bible. How do we view the Bible in our current culture and in culture past? There's always been an argument over how, how you view the Bible. Some will say it's just a history book. And it's quite accurate in its history. And it's great for that. Some would say you should probably remove some things out of it. Um, those aren't really meaningful. But these parts are good. A lot of people love to reference Jesus' sermon on the mount and, and use that as how to live with your neighbors, how to have a good society. We, Jesus had some good thoughts on that. But they see him nothing, as nothing more than a philosopher like Plato or someone else. Like he was just a good philosopher and we might try living by his, his philosophy. First of all, we view the Bible as conservative Orthodox Christians as inerrant in its original manuscripts the Chicago statement of biblical inerrancy came out in 1979 I believe it was um, that said this is what orthodox Christians believe about the bible it is inerrant what do I mean by that that the bible in its original manuscripts having been inspired by God is without error in its original manuscripts it is without error even down to the comma The punctuation is correct. There are no grammatical errors. It is perfect and inerrant. Why is this important? Because God doesn't err. God is perfect. Therefore his word is perfect. And we got everything that he wanted us to have. If the Bible in its original form is inspired by God... It must be perfect and complete. If it is not, then God is not perfect and he has erred in some way. So we believe the Bible in its original manuscripts is inerrant. Well, we don't have the original manuscripts, Jared, so what about that? We also believe the Bible is infallible in its meaning. What does this mean? That while our copies of scripture cannot claim inerrancy because they have gone through being copied many times over and humans do make mistakes, it could be that a comma is put in the wrong place. It could be that a word is misspelled. But the fact that we believe the Bible to be infallible in its message says that we believe that any small errors that might exist in the current copies do not affect its message and what it attends to communicate to us. that all that we have all that we read all that we understand from scripture is infallible that god has made sure the communication stayed the same while it may not be an errant there may be a misplaced apostrophe or a misplaced punctuation somewhere or a spelling error we do believe that it is infallible in what it means and the bible says what it means why is this important? Well, I think you probably are already thinking of a few reasons, because recently, and not just recently, but for years, there's nothing new under the sun, like Solomon says, people want to make the Bible say what they want it to say, and they want to use this argument that well we don't we have copies, so there could be some mistakes and and messed up stuff, so maybe it doesn't mean that no. We believe the Bible is infallible in its message, so we are sure that it means this. The Bible is true. That's what this means. The Bible is true. Anything that does not agree with Scripture is not true. Anything that does not agree with Scripture is not true. It is a lie. Now, are there things that aren't in Scripture that we could claim to be true? well well, yes there are things that science has taught us that doesn't contradict the Bible that we can believe to be true but anything that the Bible speaks on and something that we discover or find seems to contradict that our understanding is wrong and the Bible is right always our understanding is wrong the Bible is right right any later revelation that seems to contradict scripture should be rejected the book of Mormon should be rejected the watchtower should be rejected anything that sets itself above the authority of scripture as if to interpret scripture for us or tell us what the bible does and does not mean should be rejected as a lie the bible is infallible in its meaning thirdly it's authoritative in its message it's authoritative in its message. What do I mean? Second Timothy three sixteen. All scriptures breathe out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. The Bible is authoritative in its message. Someone once said, I read lots of books, but there's only one book that reads me, and that is the Bible. The Bible stands in authority over you and over your life. It is authoritative. You submit to the word of God. Just before, in 2 Timothy 3, 14 and 15... Paul writes, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The scriptures are profitable for teaching, for teaching us how to live and for teaching us to be wise through faith in Christ. Secondly, it's authoritative for reproof. The scripture is for rebuking us when we are in sin. The scripture speaks on behalf of God to us to rebuke us in our sin. Whenever we do things that go against the commands in scripture, it stands over us and rebukes us. It is for our correction. It not only rebukes us, but it corrects us in our behavior. It's not as if this book stands and says, don't do this, don't do that, and gives us a list of rules, but it tells us how to live a righteous life. It corrects our path also for training in righteousness. It makes us like Christ. In scripture we have direct commands to be obeyed. Principles to be lived by and testimonies to learn from. We have plenty of people that are written of in scripture that we can look at how things went for them when they disobeyed scripture and when they obeyed it. Right? <laughs> And we see in the pages of scripture many people who are as messed up as we are. And often we think they're more messed up. And then we look at our own hearts. (laughs) And come to the realization, no. No, they, they they just got it like publicized to the world. I didn't have to go through that. But we have testimonies to learn from. We have commands that are to be obeyed. And we have principles that are to be lived by. So we've talked about how we got our Bible. We've talked about how we view the Bible. What about what, what? do we do with it now? What do we do with the Bible? Well, first of all, what we should not do is alter the Bible. Thomas Jefferson was a, a well-known deist um, who didn't believe that God sovereignly controlled the world and that man was expected to make things right god was kind of like a watchmaker he he built the world took his hands off of it and let it run so thomas jefferson did not like the idea of jesus being God in the flesh because God doesn't interfere with his creation in Thomas Jefferson's worldview and he especially didn't like the miracles of Jesus because that showed him to be divine and so Thomas Jefferson made his own Bible and he removed many passages of scripture that mention the miracles of Jesus and the supernatural works of Jesus we do not alter the Bible we accept it as truth anything else that contradicts it is a lie deism Lie. All right, let's go on. We do not take the Bible for granted. There are 52 countries in the world right now where the Bible is banned. Meaning it's either very hard to get a hold of a copy, or if you are found with a copy, you will be arrested and imprisoned and sometimes beaten. Possibly killed. And we in America have copies laying all over our house we have apps on our phones we can pick it up anytime we desire something that christians around the world would desperately desire to have we have at our disposal 24 hours a day and so often on sunday morning we pick it up and kind of brush the dust off so somebody thinks i was i was reading it this week Crinkle the pages a little bit. I look real holy. Um, right? Don't don't laugh like you've never done it. Um so we take it for granted so often we have we have the truth. We have everything we need pertaining to life and to godliness. And many times when we have a question about what we should do we tend to run to a psychotherapist or some friend or Google, right? And we try to find answers from self-help books and other things. And we have the very word of God given to us. And we take it for granted. The last thing we should not do is worship the Bible. We worship Christ, not the Bible. What makes the Bible important to us is that it testifies of the Christ. And through reading it, we know him and can learn about him. But there will be a day when we no longer need words on pages to know him. There will be a day when we stand in the very presence of the one who has ransomed us out of darkness and made us citizens of his kingdom. And we won't need words on a page. We do not worship the Bible. We worship the Christ. What we should do with it though is read it we should read it we should study it 2nd Timothy two fourteen through 17 remind them of these things and charge them before God do not quarrel about words which is no good but only ruins the hearers do your best to present yourself to God as one approved a worker who has no need to be ashamed rightly handling the word of truth avoid irreverent babble for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness and their talk will spread like gangrene Paul tells Timothy study it Show yourself approved, rightly handling God's word. Not only that, but discuss it. We saw this in in the New Testament in Acts with the early church in 242. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. These people spent time together, not only looking into the word of God, but discussing it with one another, talking about it we are to discuss it memorize it Psalm 119 11 Psalmist says I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you why do we memorize it so that we don't sin against God so we know how we are to live well brother I got the Holy Spirit in me that's all I need well if you've never memorized any scripture the Holy Spirit doesn't have a lot to work with in your brain Saved by the bell ain't going to cut it. American Idol is not going to cut it. The Bachelor is not going to cut it. Alright? Memorize it. So the Spirit can bring to your mind the things that God would have you do. We do this all to the end that we might know and obey the one who saved us. That we might know Christ more fully understand this knowledge puffs up we don't read this book we don't study this book we don't memorize this book so that we can beat people over the head with how much we know and how much we have memorized we read this book we study this book we discuss this book we memorize this book so that we look more like jesus and that we would come to love him more I urge us to be a people that don't take this for granted. To be people that live by this book. But not as an end in itself. But that we might glorify Christ with our lives. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the opportunity this morning to come together as a group of believers, as those who have trusted you for salvation. God, we thank you that you called us out of darkness and into light. We pray this morning that you would change us by what we've heard, that we would understand that this book should not be taken for granted, but it contains all things that we need for life and for godliness. And God, let it be the first thing we run to when we need help, when we are depressed, when... When we're struggling in our sin, God, may may your word be where we run to find comfort and shelter, God, to find correction and reproof. God, ultimately to be made like Jesus Christ. To the end that we will worship you fully in spirit and in truth. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.